Okay, everybody, we're here today with uh, Adam Bloomston. He's the president of Payrock. Uh, I recently um, interviewed Adam for a Green Sheet article and was really impressed by some of the things Payrock is doing to help merchants weather the economic storm brought on by coronavirus. I thought it would uh, be helpful if you could share some of what they're doing to help our listeners help their merchants. But before we dive into that, um, Adam, I'd love to hear some of your background. You know, maybe you can tell us a little bit of, you know, your evolution, you know, professional evolution, what brought you to Payrock and maybe uh, give us a little insight. I know Payrock's been through a lot of uh, uh, organizational changes, uh, mergers and acquisitions and so forth. Maybe you could give us a thumbnail sketch of what's going on there. Sure. Um, absolutely. Um, let's see. So I grew up in Birmingham, went to the University of Alabama. Bama. I've, Bama, roll tide. <laughs> I've, I've always been an entrepreneur. I've had a couple of different businesses in my career. And I guess fast forward, I started up a company called Payscape in, in 2004. With my business partner, Jeremy Wing, we, we just started pounding the pavement out of his basement you know, selling merchant processing and, and we quickly grew it. We were hiring friends. We, we expanded cities and, and, and started acquiring other small tuck in technology companies. And, and over time we built Payscape up to be around 12,000 merchants. And, mm-hmm. and then in last year we had brought in private equity with Parthenon capital and mm-hmm. Zach Sadek had kind of run the deal with us. He's an industry veteran as well now. And, right. and we merged with, with Tom Natopi, who was founder and CEO of NextGen. Okay. And, and then, you know, we were all still cooking. You know, the, the, the recipe was going to be grow organically and, and work on more acquisitions. And at the same time, we started working on pulling Blue Pay Canada, which was Marcus Dagenet's company. Um, okay. Legacy name was Caledon. We started working on that, and we started working on a deal with Pay Rock out of Chicago, all just immediately, all at the same time. And they all arranged it for us. Yeah, it all and it all kind of happened of October last year. So essentially, it's kind of this four-way merge, um, bringing in private equity, and and then here we are. You know, it's been I guess that was October, so here we are in April now. So it's been about six months into the story. We've got. You know, Payrock now is probably one of the largest processors in the country, proprietary back-end settlement capabilities, uh, 65,000 customers doing about $23 billion a year of payment volume um, all in. I think that's kind of the, the story there of, of who we are and what we're, up, what we're doing now. And that's both north and south of the border, right, Canada, as well as the U.S.? That's right. That's right. We've got proprietary settlement platforms in Canada and in the U.S. Wow. Wow. That's wow. awesome. Yeah. So Adam, um, I know today we want to focus a lot of this uh, interview on the challenges facing small business owners with the coronavirus and what ISOs can do about it. I was wondering to kind of get us started off. Can you get, can you kind of frame this problem for us a little bit? I know the challenges that are facing these small businesses is, is going to vary a lot by vertical and, and even you know geography, but what are you really seeing across the board as far as the major challenges that are facing small businesses today? Yeah, I mean, it ranges from, you know, from from the obvious of just being shut down, you know, a state where, you know, uh, it's a a music venue hall and Mm -hmm. there's just no such thing as concerts right now or, you know, beauty spa salon 
and right. that's just not a business that's open right now. You know, down to you know restaurants that are that are open that are trying to figure out how to do delivery and takeout, and then the challenges they're facing. And 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 you know, there's there's pockets of there's pockets of hope, and and you see landscaping and building supplies and horticulture and 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 things like that. I mean, bicycle shops, which makes sense. But sure. bicycle shops are doing extremely well right now. You can probably call any bicycle shop in any city and they'll come <laughs> deliver a bike, meet you, do whatever sure. you need. Wow. Um, I hadn't thought about that so, angle. So That's there are, yeah, there's things that you just, you know, you're not thinking about. Like motorcycle shops are doing really well right now. Huh. Mm-hmm. Um, but it makes sense when you do think about it. Right. Sure. Um, if you're going to go out, you can go out alone on your bike. Sure. That's right. That's mm-hmm. right. But But I think more to the, to the question that you're asking is what are we seeing out there outside of the obvious ones that are just completely shut down. And, and that's these people are, you know, they're trying to figure out how to make their payroll and they're, they're just in a fight for their lives out there right now. Yeah. Trying to figure out how to change their menus so that the food is more accommodating uh, mm-hmm. for takeout and delivery. Um, you know, and, and if it's out, you know, you can now do alcohol sales and delivery through restaurants in certain states as well, which was never done. Never before. before. Right. Never before. But the governors now are like, fine, let them deliver it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, so you're starting to see a lot of lax laws and it takes a lot of creativity to figure out kind of how to maneuver and, and how to, you know, I, I don't know if anybody's necessarily thriving in some of these tough SIC codes, but there's definitely people surviving. Right. Right. Well, um, and I know, think that's, and, and, that's a really and, interesting transition because, you know, one of the things I want to talk to you about next was that survival aspect, because I think a lot of these businesses, it's not, you know, their growth is not on their mind right now. Of course, they're not thinking about how they're going to grow their business. They're going, you know, how do we survive? And it's so interesting, Adam, because uh, I'm sure you saw the news this morning. We, I wanted to talk to you today about, you know, payroll protection program and the CARES Act and all of this. And of course, now, you know, that funding ran out this morning, but we're anticipating more funding coming. But can you talk to us a little bit about what Payrock is doing to kind of help merchants get through this time and, and just, you know, get that survival aspect going where they can get a path forward for their business? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of things we're doing right now. So let's try and create some framework around it. Uh, and then we'll touch on PPP as well. So the, the, the first thing that we've done is we created the COVID small business survival guide. That was our newsletter that we created. That's now going out twice a week. That includes all sorts of stuff. And in there is information on tips and tricks that we we've got interviews that we take of other business owners that have figured out ways Hmm. to be creative and create revenue and survive. We're interviewing people. We're putting that up on all social media. We're sending it out to people as quickly as possible because look, you might have a restaurant in another city and you're just not thinking of some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, we got we got one client that that has a tapas restaurant, and tapas might not be exactly what you're thinking of to feed the family tonight. So he right. completely rearranged his entire menu, and he's serving pizzas and Philly cheesesteak sandwiches and pasta. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, just so that he can have a delivery takeout menu, and it is working, and he is mm-hmm. seeing some revenue come in from these things. So we're taking these videos, we're recording them, getting them out as quickly as we can just to open up communication for people. Sure. Um, you know, then there's the basics. I mean, every processor right now, some more so than others have got products that are very viable and important in this time, you know, surcharging is a must. I mean, I I think surcharging 
this will be kind of the, the big grand experiment that takes place that pushes surcharging completely into the norm in the United States. You know, whereas sure. some people might have said, you, you go pitch restaurants, hey, surcharging is a thing. You should add the 3% to your bill. And they say, I don't know if our customers are going to love that. Um, you know, right now, I don't know what they'll feel about it. Well, everyone we're talking to right now is like, oh, yeah, you mentioned surcharging to me a couple months ago. I have to have it right now. Right. We're, we're passing the fees on. So, right. So products like that are important that we communicate. So some of the other products that we're, we're working with our small business owners on as we build websites or actually landing pages mm-hmm. uh, for online takeout delivery. We've partnered with a company called Website 999 who does a phenomenal job with helping us provide uh, the small restaurant owner out there a quick, I mean, we can set it up in like a day or two, a wow. landing page where people can do online delivery. You can set your menu up, <clears throat> order online, and then you can come to the curbside pickup as well. Um, you know, and then and then some other things. So there's, there's, there's communication, there's product. And then we got into, um, there's a couple more things that we did. One of the coolest things we did, and then we'll touch on PPP next was we, we regalvanized our entire marketing team and created Mm -hmm. a marketing agency out of them. Um, we, we have about a dozen people in marketing, everybody from graphic design to email experts and, and campaign management to, sales and, and social analytics to social online graphic design and, and so many different people on the team that have all these amazing talents, we immediately stopped all, um, all internal marketing efforts. And we just started calling our merchants and sending out emails saying, we'll help you with your marketing. Let us help you. Uh, and it's for free. We're not charging anybody for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've helped hundreds of people so far. We'll build them. We'll, we'll help them write their copy, build the email campaign, do some graphic design work for them, build a simple landing page. Some people have wanted posters to put in their windows and we've, we've been able to create that for them. So just anything we can do to help the small business owner right now. And, and then uh, we got into the PPP game. We, you know, we worked with a few different partners and tried to vet out who was going to be able to help customers efficiently and get them their money. And we partnered with my buddy, Corey, um, over at Wompley. Mm. They built a great forward-facing online UI connected to some really heavy banks, some big banks with some big money. And they started taking thousands of applications in. And and we connected to their technology. And then we sent out some news blasts and said, we're recommending Wompley. And I think that's going to work out great for some people. We've we submitted hundreds of applications through the technology and, and look, there's really not a lot of money in the game um, to be made. We just want to help the small business owner sure. and help them the quicker they can get their money, then they'll be open and survive, you know, over the next couple months. Right. Um, you know, and then I, I think you asked too about the PPP. So to touch on it a little bit, right. Um, let's touch on PPP just a little bit here. So, the government originally came out and said there's going to be 350 billion and, and, and get ready, go. Well, no one knew what to do. The technology, no one had forward facing technology that could handle this. Right. All the banks immediately went to their biggest customers and said, let's get you help first. And they probably went to people that had, they had loans with already. Of course. Sure. Right? That's they're hedging their bet there. Um, and, and then they, everyone started taking applications and working with their biggest customers and, and within, you know, something crazy, like a 10 day period as of this morning. So what is today? Today's the 16th. 
as of this morning, the SBA announced that the they have received over $350 billion of applications and funding requests. In less than two weeks. In less than two weeks. Yeah, it's, um, supposed, it's supposed you know, to run no, to June no 30th, right? Thought, yeah, no one ever thought it would be enough money to go around. Uh, you can read our CEO, Jim Oberman, wrote a letter and immediately put it up on our our, our COVID uh, newsletter page saying, you know, just being very transparent. Like, we don't think this is enough money to go around. You need to get in line now. And and sure enough, um, you know, they they say there there is no more money as of now, but they are all on from what I read. They're all on the hill trying to figure out how to release another 250 billion and then possibly even more. Right. You know, I don't know the statistic other than what I read, but I, I heard originally that it probably wasn't enough, but for 30 to 40% of the country to receive funding, PPP funding. And then I read, I think it was the wall street journal today said it was about 10%. Yeah. Yeah. Of, of the country, small businesses. So look, the, it's not like the federal government owed this to these small businesses. So it's not like there's a negative here. I mean, they get a positive in every checkbox, in every category for trying to do this. So they're, you know, they're, they're doing a pretty amazing thing just by even considering it and doing it and putting it in place as quick as they did. So hopefully they can do more um, for whatever it's worth. Everything we're hearing is that people need to continue to submit their applications. Yes. Right. Um, right. And and that w- and that, that puts them in line. They're still, fig- you know, they're, they're st- as soon as they figure out the additional funds, these people already be in line. And now I am hearing that the non-bank lenders are better resources for the small business because the banks are handpicking in order who mm-hmm. it should go to. Right. Mm-hmm. And the non and, and the fee is the same. Right. To a lender. The fees are the same. So if you're a non-bank lender, you don't care about the rest of your deposit. You don't care about what other loans you have with that bank. You're right. just trying to get the applications through the funnel. Right. So I'm now hearing and reading that the non-bank lenders are probably a better avenue for the small business owner. And I would think that that was also, would also be because, you know, a lot of these non-bank lenders are, you know, are high tech companies. They can, they can change on a dime a lot better than these legacy banks can, Correct. Yeah, I mean, look, there's companies out there like Cabbage who are doing an amazing mm-hmm. job, um, Wompley who are doing an amazing job. And, and you got to think the work they did within like a couple of days, days. they built this incredible yep. online user interface that was intelligent and could answer questions when you hovered over, hovered over um, form fields. Mm-hmm. that gave you error notifications. And then they had people calling you in some instances or emails. They would go out and say, Hey, you didn't fill this out. Right. Right. Like they did this within days. I mean, in any normal circumstance, it would take people oh, months, my. if not a year to figure out sure. how to loan 10 to $20 billion. Right. And I uh, will attest to the, to the fact I used the, uh, the WAMP, the thing, it was incredibly uh, easy to navigate. And I mean, I remember people telling me they took two or three hours to fill out those forms. I think it maybe took me an hour and a half. If that, yeah. that was only the time I yeah. needed to, you know, dig out some bank statements and stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's, they did, everyone's done an amazing job here. Um, trying to help the small business. I think, I, I, I hope 
there's more money coming down the pipe because they sure do need it. You know, Adam, Adam, um, let, me, let me ask you this about that. If you if you kind of zoom out and look at the, the CARES Act and these SBA programs, I mean, as we've talked about, I mean, we haven't gotten complete funding, but I have talked to a lot of businesses that have received funding. Um, also, of course, in the CARES Act is, you know, all this unemployment benefits that are helping the employees of these companies. What do you see as the effects? I mean, you know, what if they hadn't passed anything? Like, you know what I mean? Where do you see the effect of this on the economy in general, and how is it going to impact small business owners as they get through this time period? Okay. You know, my caveat is I'm no certified financial analyst here. I'm no attorney. <laughs> sure. I'm no economist. Just from experience. Um, yeah, just from experience. But what is interesting is, we have a mind's eye, just like a lot of these payment companies do. You've got this mind's eye into 65,000 small businesses. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you can see daily flow of funds compared to same exact day last year, compared to same day last week. You can take seven-day trailing periods every single day and compare it to the same seven-day trailing period last year. And, and so you really do, when you kind of think about it, we have our own little Dow Jones or S and P 500 that we're watching, Sure. Mm-hmm. except for ours isn't 30 companies or 500 companies, it's 65,000 and first data is half a million or how many, you know, thesis and glow. I mean, all these people have their own, um, pools that they're sitting there watching and, and, and these funds, the, the SBA PPP funds are incredible. It is extremely important and they need more of this. Yeah. You read right now that the, the, the small business owner that 20 to 30% of them in certain sit codes are already gone. Yeah. They've already shut their doors. Um, and, and they just don't have any plans to open back up and they're going to pivot and do something else with their lives. The unemployment rate is skyrocketing right now. Mm-hmm. You know, the small business represents 50% of the country's workforce, um, you know, which is, it, which is obviously an enormous number. Uh, figuring out how to get the small business owner back on their feet and getting their employees back on their feet and getting the dollars flowing back through them is as important, if not more important, than getting the Dow 30 back on their feet and the funds mm-hmm. flowing through them as well. Right. So it's just a little bit different mentality. It's a little bit different mindset because the balance sheets are completely different. You know, the crazy thing is right now is that the Dow and the S and P and everything are barely off where they were from a year ago. Mm-hmm. But yet there's complete bloodshed going on in the small business sector and it has to do with their balance sheets and it has to do with, you know, w- with this mind's eye that we have in the 65,000 customers is completely current, right? It's what's happening today. And then the Dow, the S&P, the NASDAQ, it's all based on future and forward facing trends. Mm-hmm. So there's a dislocation going on right now with what I think all the processors are seeing and then what most people watch when they watch the news in regards to how the markets are performing right. due to balance sheets and due to a few other factors. But there's no difference in what's going on in their physical location, right? Their physical locations, their stores are the same as the small business stores. A restaurant is a restaurant. Mm -hmm. And if they're closed, they're closed. Um, You know, if you've got 
Um, you know, you're a small business that does lab work or you're a publicly traded business that does lab work. The retail environment is still the same for both of those companies. Um, so I think there's a little dislocation going on right now and what we're seeing, what the processes are seeing and the Visa MasterCard funnel is seeing for the small business versus what the publicly traded entities are seeing. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important. It's amazing what, what, um, the Hill, whether you be Republican or Democrat has done for the small business. I think it's amazing and I hope they can do more. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that kind of, that actually is a, a great segue into my next question. Um, Adam, and you know, I, I think that Payrock may be unique in that it has set up a GoFundMe page for clients that have been hard hit by the pandemic. Can you talk talk a little bit about that? Maybe give us a, a sense of you know, tell us about it. Maybe how much money you've raised and and how the money will be apportioned. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, we just sit here and talk about publicly traded entities and 65,000 customers. And, and what we've done on our GoFundMe right now is a drop in the bucket, but sure. it's important to us and, and we're doing our part. Mm -hmm. uh, we, you know, we, we, we kind of all get together and talk on these town hall calls internally every week now at Payrock. And, and one of the conversations that we came, ended up finding ourselves in was that we were kind of galvanized right now and feel like we're in this bucket brigade. Mm -hmm. And if you remember the old bucket brigade concept where the firemen didn't have the, the, the trucks couldn't, didn't have pumps and hoses right. and the trucks didn't hold water that you would just have a well or a river or a lake and you would form a line of people. And then you'd move one bucket from the well all the way up to the fire and everybody would have to work arm in arm. Right. And, and that, that's kind of who we felt we are and, and were and are at Payrock is, is we're, we're in this bucket brigade with the small business owner and we all have to do our part. Right. And that right. went from, that went from changing around our marketing efforts to creating this newsletter and, and trying to find people that have had success and, and, and that are surviving and getting those communications out to other business owners uh, to getting involved in the PPP. And then also just the, the GoFundMe page that we created, uh, GoFundMe slash Bucket Brigade. And, and we've raised about $30,000 and we're giving it out to the small business owner, our customers that in $500 grants, just call us, let us know your story and, and we'll get you the money as quickly as we can. Uh, we're still raising money. That still campaign is still going on right now. We're getting all of our stories in. We've gotten dozens of requests and, and and a, and a lot of effort is going to get these people their money as fast as we can. And, and, and again, it's every little thing you can do. I don't care. You know, like I said, I opened up this comment with it's not big, but, but it feels good and we're doing right. Mm -hmm. and, and we're doing everything we can to help them. You know, if we give it out in $500 increments, 30 grand, we can help 60 customers. Sure. You know, these sure. people can pay their bills and, 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 and pay, you know, pay, pay an employee for a week or, or whatever it is they need to do with the money. Right, right. Well, you know, you also mentioned the town halls, and, and, and maybe if you could elaborate on that and maybe give us a sense. It strikes me there's a lot of different ways that you're communicating to your merchants, and, and the town hall concept seems very interesting. Can you can you just explain a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, we, we, we internally, transparency is a really big, you know, part of our core values hit pay rock, you know, you got to tell people good and you got to tell them bad. Right. And if you, if you get on the phone and you're just always talking good, then ultimately people roll their eyes and they're like, we all, we know it can't always be good. 
Right, right. So, so you got to tell people the good and the bad. And, and so that's been a mission of ours at Payrock. We do fireside chats with our CEO where he'll spend a little bit more time on the phone, just staring at the camera and speaking to everybody directly. Mm-hmm. We do town halls right now. We're doing them weekly, but historically we've done them about every month where we'll get all 360 employees globally on the phone and just say, hey, look, here's some good stuff and here's some bad stuff and here's what's been happening. Mm-hmm. And then as that, as that gets us into COVID, we've been doing them more often. Like I said, we've been doing them weekly and we're showing everybody our numbers, um, you know, and, and numbers aren't great right now in some sick codes and in other sick codes they are, but all in all, you know, numbers are tough right now for a lot of merchant processing platforms out there. Sure. And we're letting our, we're letting our employees see that. And we're walking them through, there's pockets of good, there's pockets of bad. Let's focus on the good and figure out how to help them and figure out how to help the ones that are bad and figure out how to sell products into these customers that they need right now in order to survive. And it's just an opportunity just to communicate and be transparent with your employees. And does that, and uh, from, does that extend then what, what, what the employees can then take and, and, and help to better communicate with their, with their merchants? Is that the concept Absolutely. there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, look, then, then they know, they know like everybody is, has got a paddle in their hands and we're all sitting side by side rowing this boat. Right. And, and when the employee doesn't know why they're paddling or which direction we're supposed to be paddling in, you know, it, then it's not good for your culture. Right. So the goal is like as often as possible to be like, hey, everybody, this is the boat. These are the waters we're facing. This is the direction we're going in. This is how fast we need you to paddle. And, and you know, it just helps. It helps keep that culture internally. You know, it kind of helps keep everybody together and lets everybody let, let everybody know the mission. And, mm-hmm. and then I think this town hall concept, we we were sitting around talking about it. And and we did an, uh, a massive external town hall for we invited over a hundred thousand people. Um, there were thousands of people on the call. You know, we sat down and we said, listen, these, these publicly traded companies, I mean, we've all had the opportunity You buy a stock. They send you an email that says, Hey, you own a share of Google and we're doing our quarterly financial report. Right. And you're sitting there listening to, I mean, I've called into one or two and you're listening to it. You're like, man, I wonder how many, are there like hundreds of thousands of people on the phone right now? Mm-hmm. And so we, we kicked that around and we said, let's do one ourselves for everybody as soon as this kind of happened. And we did this massive, um, you know, town hall, this COVID emergency small business town hall invited over 100,000 people. And Jim Oberman and I just addressed everybody. And we were super transparent. Um, it's online. I mean, you can see all the stuff we're talking about at payrock.com um, or any of our social uh, any of our social sites on Instagram or Facebook, Twitter, wherever, LinkedIn. Uh, but we've got the recording up there, but we were just super transparent. And we wanted everybody to hear, you know, all the different things we talked about on during this podcast and, and just what's going on with the numbers and what we see. And, and you know, pay, look, Payrock is fortunate right now. Uh, times are tough, but we have a very strong balance sheet. Mm-hmm. And, and we have, you know, a great private equity partner with Parthenon Capital. Um, we have some great lenders on some debt that we have, and, and, and they're totally in tune with us right now and, and, and support us. So, you know, these were the type of things that we communicated on the town hall, giving some people some reassurance, letting them know how we could help them, letting them know we had, we were in the PPP 
um, effort to help them. We had GoFundMe. We could give them money. We have other products they should take a look at. Like, there's a lot to discuss on the town hall, but I, I think it went over really well. Um, like I said, I think there were thousands of people on the call, and it just wow. it went over really well. And and again, that that's back to the same core values. Just being being transparent with people is important. Right. Sure. Right. Sure. So, James, do you have some other? Do you have another question? Do you want to do a wrap? Yeah, no, I think that's, I mean, good night. We could talk about this stuff for, I think, a couple of hours, but we, we'll, we'll have to let Adam go here in a minute. But it's been such great information. I think there's so much that the ISOs will hopefully take from this, uh, the ISO execs that are listening, and even the agents as far as just communicating uh, with their merchants, getting this information out, having that clear communication. So, Adam, I know there's going to be some ISO execs and agents, a lot of our listeners that are going to want to learn more about Payrock and potentially partnering with you guys. Uh, where would you send them to learn more? Yeah, um, go to payrock.com, email me. I still have a legacy email address. It's adam at payscape.com. And email me and I'll connect the dots and get you in touch with whoever you need to be in touch with. Go to payrock.com to learn more about our products and all of the information on COVID. Our newsletter you'll see right when you go to the homepage and you can learn about all these different things we've been talking about. Awesome. And that's uh, P-A-Y-R-O-C. Dot com, correct? Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Awesome. Well, Adam, thank you so much for your time. It's been so great. Really good info. Really enjoyed it, Adam. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time to talk with us and, and helping to educate our listeners. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For the past 36 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading the Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at greensheet.com. Okay, so James, you know, I touched briefly on this last week, but I wanted to report this week a little bit, go a little bit deeper on um, how contactless is poised for takeoff. Sure. You know, contactless, it's been a hit in most of the world, particularly for small dollar transactions. Uh, Visa and MasterCard both report that roughly half of all card present purchases globally, excluding the U.S., are contactless transactions. Really? Yeah, I was very surprised with that, except that when you start looking at a lot of these small dollar transactions in Europe, where it's very popular, and in Asia, where it's very popular. Um and increasingly becoming so in South Asia, you know, India and so forth. Mm-hmm. And so I think when you do it, not by dollars, but by number of transactions. Right. But um, uh, uh, MasterCard said that in February it was about 48% and, uh, and Visa was about 49%. Hmm. Wow. Very interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. I found that very interesting. And, um, you know, it seems to me that in a time of rampant concern about the potential health risk of face-to-face interactions, they're generating more interest. I, I, I hear it a lot um, from my friends as well as from colleagues. I mean, even those of us who are um, the most serious about social distancing, you know, we still have to make trips out into the world for essentials. Sure, sure. And, the, you know, and the notion of touching a POS terminal or swiping or dipping a card into a device that 50 other people have touched. Sure. Not exactly comforting, you know? Right, right. Uh, and in fact, I had a debate with a friend the other day and I was trying to, you know, because I, I always, as you know, I always carry cash. 
And I said, oh, you know, I'm using cash. And she's like, yeah, but then they have to hand you cash change back. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I hadn't right, thought about right. that. You know? <laughs> so, uh, but, you know, making transactions as fast and with as little contact as possible uh, helps po folks be more socially responsible and also hopefully supports the efforts to flatten the infection curve. And in this contact, in this context, rather, contactless payments make a lot of sense. Sure, they do. Yeah, very interesting. You know, and and a survey. There's a there's a consulting company out there I'd not heard of until I started doing some research on this, but it's called the Futurist Group, which to me sounds more like a think tank than a consulting firm. But yeah, it really does. I, doesn't it? Anyway, they they did a survey of uh, just over three thousand consumers uh, back in. Um, early March, and they revealed that 38% of um, consumers consider contactless functionality table stakes when considering a new credit card. And that was up from about 30% uh, last mm. year before the pandemic. Pandemic. Wow. Hmm. So, that, I mean, that's a significant increase. And I think I mentioned last week when we were talking about this, I have a friend who's like not she is not uh, hip on on payments. Let's just put it that way. I mean, you know, when, when I ask her to PayPal me, she's like, why can't I just write you a check? Right. She's <laughs> that kind of person. Right. And yet she was telling me, man, I don't I never I don't put my card in the terminals anymore. As soon as I found out my card was a contactless card, I just tap it on the terminal. Hmm. I feel so much safer. So, you know, there's a lot of that. And um, when you add to that, uh, to, you know, the. Uh, the the proliferation of contactless in major cities, for example, uh, sure. for mass transit, New York, Chicago, right, L.A., right. Uh, and a few other big cities, uh, D.C. as well, are all using contactless uh, devices. You know, the, either you can use your uh, Chase card in New York, in D.C. they have their own contactless cards, but people are getting more used to it, you know? Right. And you add to that, the fact that most of the major issuers are now in the process of issuing EMV cards that support contactless payments, and you have a recipe for change. Um, a survey conducted by the Straw Hacker Group for the ETA points to a clear uptick in interest among uh, surveyed small and mid-sized merchants that are, were, are still open for business. This was a survey they did in March, um, in the, just as all the shutdowns were happening. Right. Um, they found that among those small and mid-sized merchants that are still open for business, 27% uh, were seeing increases in contactless payments. Hmm. And, uh, you know, when I came across this about a year, I did some research on this about a year ago, and it was under 10%. Wow. Huh. So that's a large, you know, and again, we're talking 27% of those that are still open. Sure. You know, a year ago, more more were open, but still, I think that's a substantial increase. And and it really, I have to say, as somebody who you know is still able to come into the office, uh, you know, on, on occasion and get some work done, uh, since I'm the only one here, um, it is very Lucky interesting. You. Yeah, it is very interesting being out and about because, um, you know, I go, I actually stopped about a week ago uh, going out to lunch to, I would go through a drive-thru, a Chick-fil-A drive-thru. Right. Um, now, uh, you know, Christina's been making my lunches every day because she doesn't want me to do that. So, right. um, but you know, when I was doing that or when I go to the grocery store, it really is interesting because, you know, you feel, 
a little awkward, but fairly safe as you kind of maneuver around. And then it really is interesting when you make that payment, whether you're handing your car to someone at the drive through or, you know, right. using inserting your car at the gas station or the the, uh, you know, uh, checkout lane in the grocery store. It definitely is a moment of a little bit of angst of like, OK, well, I'm trying to think of, you know, this is definitely a moment where I'm getting out my hand sanitizer. You know, who right. else has touched yes. this? Um yeah, so I, I think uh, I think it's a really valid point, and I think it's uh, I think consumer behavior is going to be impacted by this, and a lot of people are going to move, like you said, towards contactless as things start to open up. It's going to be a really big deal. Yeah, and I think you're going to see a lot of this. Even you know, we've talked about order online and pay at the curb or whatever. You know, contactless works for that as well. And you know, I think it's very possible that you know, particularly in areas where the stay-at-home orders are in place for a while, you know, for months, people start getting used to things. Yeah, for sure. Right. And, and so it's like, Hey, I've been using my contactless card for these last three months. Why don't I just keep on using it? For sure. Oh yeah. Right? I think, I think that's you know? the kind of, that's the kind of thing where once you do it, you don't go back because it's even there is just that micro convenience, uh, yes. improvement, you know, it's not huge, mm -hmm. but no, uh, it's, it's a couple seconds maybe, but yeah, but you know, I, I think it's it like the difference between like, it, you know, it, what to me, it wasn't really a big deal until it was the chip card thing. Like right. EMV changed exactly. that because to me, tapping my card or swiping my card is roughly the same thing. But right. inserting my card and leaving it there versus tapping my card, I'd rather tap it. Same here. Same here. You know, and I don't know about you, but sometimes, you know, you got to leave the card in there for a while. Right. And and more than once I've had somebody go, oh, man. You forgot your card. Oh, absolutely. Yes, you know? for sure. And yeah. that is like embarrassing as all get out. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just wanted to pay yeah, for the person know, behind me. <laughs> you know. Yeah, exactly. Right. If there's anybody. Uh, but, you know, I, I was doing a piece just recently for the green sheet of what ISOs and agents are doing, you know, in these times, you know, to, to get out and sell and to help their merchants and so forth. And several of the uh, payment company executives I interviewed um, you know, really, really push this contactless concept that, you know, it's, mm. it's really set to be take, take off. You know, as a couple of them put it, you know, ISOs in the feed on the street should think about leading with contactless. Hmm. You know, maybe those with old terminals aren't quite ready to make the plunge right now. They might not want to put out the money right now. But once things turn around, they're going to be ready and you've already planted the seed. Hmm. That's a, you know it's really interesting. I it's I had not thought about it until today, and I know you had talked about it before, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and I just hadn't really thought about it as a prospecting strategy. But it really does make a lot of sense. Do you have any idea, Patty, like roughly what percentage of these small businesses are currently ready to go locked and loaded for contactless? Is it like? From, do you have any idea? Well, from what I understand, it's a very large percentage. It's just whether or not you know you have to turn a certain system um, capability on, right? Um, sure. So maybe the but, better maybe the better question is, I wonder what percentage of, uh, not that you would have the answer to this, but I right. wonder what percentage of small business owners are aware that they are currently able to accept contactless. And I saw a data point on that a few months ago that was very low. It was something like maybe 40%. Sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah, so there's there's still a huge, you know, there's a one in two, you know, opportunity there where you could even potentially cold call, 
you know, merchants and say, hey, obviously a big concern when all this opens up is going to be contactless payments. Nobody's going to want to insert their card into your terminal with the virus going around. You know, right. are you 100 percent sure that you're currently enabled for contactless? If not, we need to get that taken care of right away, you know. Right. So, and, and, yeah, and if you're idea. not sure, let me check and, I'll, and I can tell you, you know. Right. Right. Yeah. Very right. interesting stuff. I like it. I like it a lot. Really good stuff. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by InstantQuoteTool.com. With over 30 training courses covering everything from sales objections to statement analysis, ISOs are using our learning management system to help new agents understand the industry and how to sell merchant services. Industry veterans love our courses because we dive deeper into concepts such as interchange and explore new industry trends like cash discounting, NFC, and the resurgence of American Express with the OptiLoop program. Put all of these training courses together with the leading proposal creation tool for merchant services agents in the field, and we believe our branded ISO solution and individual user package is a must-have. Visit instantquotetool.com today or email support at instantquotetool.com to learn more. All right, everybody, today in questions from the field, I want to talk about geography because, Patty, geography is becoming a much bigger issue and concern than I think most of these sales teams and individuals are understanding. Yeah, sure. So, you know, I think there's potentially a misconception. And it was funny because I did uh, I had four calls yesterday with four different ISOs. And mm -hmm. this was brought up on all four of those calls, wow. which is kind of unusual for me. So usually I'm like, okay, that's a trend. Um, yeah. And so there's maybe this this perception of when is everything, when is the economy going to open back up? When are we going to be able to go back out in the field? Well, mm -hmm. that's actually not the right question. The right question is which counties near me are going to open up first? <laughs> yes, right? exactly. Because it, if you're in a rural area versus an urban area, if you're on the coast versus being in the middle of the country. Sure. It's all going to be different. So I think, you know, before I dive into this, obviously, I want to clarify that, you know, safety and health is, of course, the first concern. I would never advise you to to do anything, you know, travel or otherwise against the advice, you know, advice that you're getting from state organizations. And I think we all understand that. But, you know, within that context, though, I think it is just very important, whether you're telemarketing, whether you're planning your infield strategy for the future, you really need to be aware and be looking at, you know, most of these states, if you go to their website, they'll have like a, a map of, you know, county by county, how many uh, coronavirus right. cases. Um, look at these counties that, that have zero, two, four, six, you know, very, very minimal single digit type uh, numbers. And mm -hmm. just kind of keep an eye on that and, and start thinking about what are you going to do if you live in a suburb of Philadelphia or New York or, uh, you know, uh, down in Louisiana, some of the hard hit areas down there. Like if you live in one of those areas, what are you going to do if, you know, two hours away from you, a market opens up? Um, mm -hmm. you know, and again, in a safe, responsible, healthy way, you know, what are you going to do about that situation? Are you going to maybe start calling that area and say, Hey, look, you know, I'm still down here and, and, uh, you know, Baton Rouge and we're really getting hit hard, but, uh, you know, we're not opened up and I know you guys are. And so I just wanted to reach out and say hello, introduce myself. Maybe you're starting conversations in that way. 
Um, you know, maybe you're thinking about your sales team and strategies of maybe getting your sales team to an area that is available for, you know, prospecting at some point, you know, so Mm -hmm. my big tip really on this is, you know, uh, first, as far as, you know, face-to-face interaction and things like that is just remember that the country is, it's not likely that the country, it's not like Donald Trump is going to get up tomorrow, you know, May 1st and say, okay, everything's open for business. We're good to go. That's not no. going to happen. He's going to make new, uh, you know, uh, recommendations, and that's going to trickle down to the various states. And then the governors are going to look and say, you know, probably these guidelines are going to be, hey, if you have a, if you have a, you know, a county with X percentage of cases or lower, we recommend right. that you open up certain businesses. You know, right. that's what it's really going to look like in, in, you know, its most likely scenario. So just kind of be aware of that. Um, then the second thing I would say is. Um, even right now, while you're calling, if you're calling places or, you know, doing social media marketing and things like that, you still need to be very conscious of geography. Um, you know, calling somewhere, you know, calling businesses in California and the LA area right now is probably a bad idea. Um, I don't care what kind of business it is. I don't care what you're selling. That's probably a losing strategy because Mm -hmm. business owners in the LA area are freaked out about this right now. Same with New York, you know, same with New York. I was just going to say that. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, you got to be smart about this. If you're going to be calling people, you know, call people in rural Alabama or call people in, you know what I mean? in, In other States where maybe there's not as much going on. And even again, not even just a state and not even a city, but just thinking really strategically about which counties you want to call what zip codes you want to call um, well you know that 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 brings me to a thought i grew up in new york i grew up in upstate mm-hmm. new york you know right. and i look at those maps every day because i want to see what it's like where my family is sure, right sure yeah i sam my family is in a pretty rural area they have i think they've had maybe three reported deaths in their county um when new york starts lifting you know places like that are going to be much more um you know much better prospects than the places closer to New York city. Um, you're in New York, you can, you know, hop in your car and drive two hours North and you might have some, some fertile ground up there. Yep. Yep. For sure. And so, so again, I think, um, I think the big takeaway is, you know, geography matters probably more than it's ever mattered in our industry. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, we got to think strategically, not just about states uh, or, or the country, but it's, it's counties. And so, Look right. at these counties, look at zip codes um, and start planning your prospecting strategy accordingly to make sure that you're in areas where, you know, maybe things are still functioning. And, and it's it, it, Patty, even the emotional state of a county. I mean, I'm in Blair right. County, Pennsylvania. We have had I think now we have we're up to 10 cases and we've had 10 cases for days before that. We had six cases for like a week um, mm-hmm. to be really honest with you. I'm not super freaked out about the coronavirus. Um, right. Because there's like, you know, I have a better chance of getting hit by a car on my way home than I do catching the virus right now. So, you know, as a result, I'm it's not like a as huge... long as you're staying in Blair County. Exactly. Exactly. Right. right. So, right. you right. know, for me, you know, I'm like, OK, and that's how mo- you know, I'm just kind of by I'm at the office every day. I'm kind of just waiting for things to open back up so I can bring my employees back so they're not working remote. But they're all working from you know remote and we're all kind of so it's not as real to us. It's not as, as fearful and scary to us because we're in this small rural area where there's very few cases. Um, right. Now, if I was a business owner in L.A. or in New York, well, this would be consuming my whole life. You know, so sure. it's just very different. And so even the emotional state of it, it's just you want to be cautious when you're calling or, you know, ma- making your prospecting strategy to really think about where do we really want to go with this. Right. Right. So good there stuff, you go. James. Thanks. Thanks, buddy. 
Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production from greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. We hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.